Joe presents Liquid Football. Welcome to Liquid Football on Joe, the show that takes you inside the dressing room and puts you in the boots of the players. Now, I'm Faker Rothers and with me today are former Tottenham and Wolves midfielder Jamie O'Hara and of course now Billericay Town boss as well and making her debut, uh, former England forward Leanne Sanderson. Great to have you both uh, here today. We're going to start off by talking Manchester United, which I know is going to make you very happy, uh, Leanne, because uh, Manchester United beat Manchester City 2-0 at Old Trafford. United's new midfielder, Bruno Fernandes, playing a crucial role, of course, setting up Anthony Martial's opening goal. Now, since making his Premier League debut on the 1st of February, he's now been directly involved in more goals than any other players. Two goals, three assists. So how impressed have you been as a United fan yeah. with him? I mean, he's been a revelation. You know, I think sometimes people concentrate on the, when the players come in and they don't do well. Everybody talks about it, but he's been brilliant. And he's just one player that's come in and, you know, along with Nemanja Matic, you know, and Fred, and they're all just playing really well together. But he's doing things. We've been crying out for a number 10 for a really long time. It looked like Mkhitaryan was going to be that number 10 for us. But yeah, I mean, he's been fantastic. You know, he's, he's doing things, basic things really, really well. And I think he's just going to keep going from strength to strength. He's made a really big difference, Jamie, hasn't he? I mean, can one player make that much difference to the confidence of a team? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you see a player come in who all of a sudden lifts a dressing room and you see the quality in training, you see the way he is and uh, he makes things happen, all of a sudden the confidence in the, in the team, you think, right, let's get it into him and let's play off him because he's going to make something happen for us. And you've seen that straight away. He's come in, he's made an impact and all of a sudden the rest of the team have lifted up. And now they're all performing better. And I think, you know, it's a massive, massive signing in a crucial part of the season. And it's a, it's a key signing for Man United to bring someone in in January when there was still a lot of this sort of negativity surrounding the football club with Solskjaer and some of their performances. And then they bring in Fernandes and he hits the ground running and he's just lifted the whole club. It's a key, key signing for them. Have you ever had that in, in either the club you're managing now mm -hmm. or when you've played in, in the past? I'd like to say I've done it once. Oh, really? <laughs> That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> All right, what impact did you make then? No, I mean, I mean, I, I signed for Wolves uh, in January um, when we, they was in the relegation with Mick McCarthy, and I went there on loan from Tottenham, and I was uh, I was coming back from an injury, and I went there and had an instant impact. Played really well. I was playing the same role, players and number ten, and and things just started, everything just started happening. You know, I was playing well. I was scoring. Was setting up goals, and we and the whole club got lifted, and all of a sudden everyone started playing well and the confidence come back and I remember I scored a great goal on a local derby against West Brom and then I scored on the last out of season which helped keep us the club up so it was it was you know really really good to have that lift around the dressing room I ended up signing and it completely went to pot got relegated <laughs> twice so this, was, this was for your contract <laughs> yeah. yeah okay I get it but, but for three months it was brilliant and you know, that's why I think signings like that in January are so important. You know, if a club can bring in one signing at a, a crucial part of the season, it can make or break, you know, the rest of the season. Man United could have just kind of dwindled through, finished mid-table and gone, you know, it was a process transition period again. But bringing in him has completely changed their season now. And now it's like, right, we can actually go on and win something here because we've got the team and we've got the players to do it. You've played for lots of different clubs, Leanne. Anybody that stands out in particular that's made that kind of impact and lifted the dressing room? 
I might as well say myself. Nah. No, because it is a fair point and he's got a fair point and he obviously feels that way. But I think for me, um, Judy Fleeting, when I played for Arsenal, we won everything. We won the quadruple, um, we won the Champions League and she's an unbelievable goal scorer. Probably one of the best goal scorers I've ever played with. So I'd say she had an unbelievable impact because we had a fantastic team, but she was one of the missing pieces that we had and we just had a brilliant season. But, you know, I think it's, it's one thing like in England, you know, Jamie's saying he had a massive impact and I think it's a good thing that he says that because I think sometimes people don't say that about themselves if yeah. that makes sense I think it's good that he felt that way and it can be a personality thing sometimes as well can't it not just the performances on the pitch someone who maybe you know lifts the dressing room in, in other mm-hmm. ways now, you in particular well, I mean you're both quite outspoken people and say speak your mind um, Leanne how have you kind of I spent half an hour with you in the game room I'm telling you all they are 100% <laughs> but how important can that be? And, and also how difficult can that be? Because it doesn't always translate positively, does it? No, I think that's been one of my biggest kind of like, I would say my whole career, I felt like a lot of coaches have misunderstood me. I think I've always had a great relationship with my teammates. You know, even when I see the England girls now and I still speak to them and stuff like that. But I think sometimes people can misunderstand you, you know, just because I have um, a funny haircut, mohawk, and just because I like to take care of myself, you know, and, and wear makeup and look differently to the way people perceive me to be. I think probably throughout my career, that's probably been one of my biggest, uh, I wouldn't say downfall because I think it's a strength, but at the same time, you know, all I'm always ever going to be is myself and, that, and I'm not going to apologise for being myself. And, you know, if people don't, I hope people like me. If they don't, I don't lose sleep at night thinking, oh, you know, I hope someone likes me. I just be honest and, and be myself. What have coaches tried to, to, to do with you before to try and conform? Because it does always feel like that there's a formula to being a footballer, if you like, and mm-hmm. you, you want people to perhaps all, you know, toe the line a little bit. I think with me, I think coaches have just never understood me. And I think, you know, I'm a sensitive person and I'm like, you know, I like to have a laugh. But I think sometimes, you know, when I was younger, like because I like to go out and enjoy myself, not necessarily to a nightclub and stuff, people used to say, oh, you know, you've been out again. And I'm like, no, I haven't. So I think there's a lot of things that people have said that are not necessarily true, but you don't know that until you get older, if that makes sense. So I don't live with any regrets. You know, I'm a professional. I live my life the way I do. And I don't think sometimes people have met people like me. So they're like, actually, you're really nice. And I'm like, well, just because I look like I'm mean when I'm on the pitch with my mohawk doesn't mean I'm going to be mean in real life you know so I'm like I said all I can ever do is be myself but it's almost like a bit of a brand nowadays isn't it like before it was much better if you kind of conformed and didn't stick out like that but now it's all about brand and marketing and actually that can be a a benefit in some way you got as well I think you there's a balance you know you got to have to find the right balance what you don't want is someone who's just completely will come out with anything can say anything and you know can be disrespectful but you want people to have an opinion not you know me is as a player, I always, I was quite a big character in the dressing room and I liked to have an opinion. If I didn't like something, I'd say it. Now, some managers didn't like that. But for me, I was like, well, I'm only stating something where I think we, we can improve or, you know, something needs to be done or something's not right. But a lot of the time you see with managers, don't want players like that. They want it easy. You know, they don't want that sort of challenge to have to deal with, a, you know, a, a person who's got an opinion or a person who might be outspoken because they think, oh, my job's tough enough and, you know, I'll just push that person to the side. But actually, if you deal with that person in the right way, you can get the best out of them because I think the best, the biggest characters in a dressing room are normally your best players. And if you can, if you can work that player to get the best out of them in the right way, then you're going to get a top, top player instead of going, you know what? It's a little bit outspoken. I'll probably just move that out the side and push it out of the club because I don't want to deal with it. 
that for me is just showing an insecurity as a manager. I think sometimes as well, you know, I've, I don't know about you, Jamie, but I've always been the person that people come to to talk about things. So I feel like people would roll me up, wind me up. Yeah. And I see, if I see one of my teammates being treated unfairly, that doesn't make me feel good, you know? And I'm like, I won't, I won't go to the manager and I'll just be like, oh, you know, they're not, this didn't make them feel good. And, you know, in the women's game, I feel like managers are not really open to that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And then when it comes to me, I feel like people don't really like, not enough people have your back. So you could, they could be like, oh, you know, we, we're tired and we don't want to train today or we need a day off or something. And they're like, they come and tell me and I'll go to the manager and then the manager will be like, you're on the bench. What are you talking about? Like, you're like a troublemaker. And it's yeah. like, well, no, actually, I'm just looking out for my teammates because they've told me they feel this way. And I'm not the captain. You don't have to be the captain to make those decisions. Yeah, but, you know, and I think sometimes you know, you can become ostracised. Like, I feel like I've been ostracised because I've stood up for what I believe is right and that's how I sleep at night, knowing that. And you have done that. Your situation with the FA and England and coming out in support of Enia Luko, that that was a difficult time for you. Tell us what that was actually like living in the moment and if you have any regrets. Yeah, it was a lot of different things. I mean, I think for me, there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that we weren't allowed to talk about. You know, for us, it was not an easy time of our lives. You know, it's not something I enjoyed. But at the end of the day, Eniola Raluca was telling the truth and not because Eni was my friend, but at the same time, I'd do that for any teammate that was going through that. And if I believe something was said and I heard it, then I'm just going to say, you know, but I don't believe that I should be ostracised for telling the truth. And I think that's what's happened. You know, I think um, the FA, you know, I haven't been contacted or anything by the FA or anybody, you know, to just kind of say, at the end of the day, I don't have to get picked for England because of like standing out for any, but I'm a human. And I think sometimes people forget that. So, you know, for me, it's not easy when I watch England games I still have a good relationship with 80% of the team you know I don't carry bitterness or animosity but I've lost out on my international career based upon telling the truth and I think that's a bit harsh but from what you were both telling me in the green room I mean I couldn't believe this explain exactly what happens when you're on an England camp and why actually there are some players who maybe don't want to be part of the international set I just find for me personally I, I find I find it quite robotic you know, the way the FA operate and it's just not the way I want to operate. So when people say to me, like, do you want to play for England again? I'm like, I'd love to, but not under those circumstances where I'm being told, you know, what I'm supposed to say in an interview or don't do this interview or, you know, if there's a whiteboard up and they kind of, you know, they write on their bullet points after a game what you should and shouldn't say. And I'm not sure if it's like that now because I've not played under Phil Neville, but, you know, the way that they operate for me, it's too robotic. Mm. And that's why often, you know, when we were younger, we never, we used to, used to, people used to say, oh, you're going away with England. And we'd be like, and I'd be thinking, why don't I feel excited? You know, and it's something you dream of your whole life. And I was always proud to play for England, sing the national anthem, but I never quite always, I never felt like always happy when I was there. Yeah. Did, did you feel that, Jamie? Because you played in the age groups, didn't you? Yeah, I went right through the age groups, played at every age group. And it was always, you know, a, a fantastic honour to, to put on an England shirt. But, you know, yeah, it was really robotic. It was. It was It was meeting after meeting, debriefs, you know, all the time, constantly. And it was, you know, there was no kind of sort of freedom to mm-hmm. do what you wanted to do. There was no kind of downtime to relax and have a laugh with your mates or go out and enjoy something. I mean, I think it's a little bit different now mm-hmm. with Southgate. I think they've changed that and he's made it like a club feel because, you know, what you hear now from the players who go there is that they actually enjoy it and have a laugh and it's a real sort of club feel that mm-hmm. they've created. But it always used to be, as soon as you went away from your club and you went away with England, 
it just was like a grind, you know. It was like two weeks away from it's home. It's interesting because obviously Jamie plays in men's football when I played in women's football, but it's the same thing, if that makes sense. Completely different sports. But yeah. what I'm saying is like he was going through, they go through the same thing as we do because that's how we felt, yeah. you know. And it was when under Hope Powell, you know, we'd have to wear the tracksuit all the time, wear the polo shirt buttoned up to the top and we never really had any freedom. One thing Mark Sampson changed when he came in, maybe similar to Gareth, where there's more freedom. And I think when you're free, you play yeah. better, yeah, of course. feel more comfortable, you get to see your family. You know, my dad came to China in 2007 in the World Cup and I literally didn't get to see him and that's not good you know you need to be around your friends you need to be around your family and I think sometimes it's too like you know robotic yeah. at, at England yeah and, it was it felt like know, it was at school yeah felt like you was um, at school mm-hmm. did, did you ever challenge it in any way like, like Leanne did when she was too in the I was side. too young mm. you know I was too young you don't you, you don't kind of have that opinion at that age you know you just kind of put up and shut up and I'm playing for England you know all, yeah. I, all I cared about was just get me on the pitch yeah. and I'll do and I'm going to do what I want to do because that's how I played you know I just if I see something or I see a picture of how I want to play I'm going to play like that no matter what you've told me, because that was just my natural talent taking over. But yeah, I, I, at that age, you don't you don't ask questions. You, you you just put up and shut up. What what have you taken from it, Jamie, into your managerial career? If if you've perhaps come, you know, do your do your players have freedom or do you keep them on a tight leash? What do you do? I like to have a kind of a relaxed atmosphere. You know, like I have very high standards and you set standards and you have fine lists and stuff. But, you know, I like to have it kind of a relaxed group of people where you can express yourselves and have a laugh. And, you know, if, you know, you want people turning up in the right training gear and your know, right tracksuits and being on time. I think that's just normal for, in a workplace. But, uh, you know, I don't make it really robotic. I just let the boys go out and enjoy themselves, let them play, play with a structure, play with a philosophy. But you've got to give players the right to express themselves as well. If they can't express themselves when they're around the hotel and they're there for two weeks in training and they're like robots, what do you expect you're going to get when they go out and play on a Saturday? You're going to get robots. Robots don't win games. What what if you have a player or what if you've played with a player or yourselves as well that does stand out, that is an individual that perhaps needs nurturing in a in a different way or treating in a different way what do you do then well yeah it, it, there's two there's two ways you can deal with them you, you you can you know a lot of managers will just go oh, i don't want to deal with that me personally i i see them because i was kind of always a bit like that myself so i look at that player and i think how can i get the best out of you because you're talented you've you've got an opinion you're a big character how do I get the best out of that player? Do I need to put an arm around you? Do I need to criticise you? Do I need to work on you one-on-one? Do I need to know what's going on in your personal life? And I but think- I think that's come from you being a player as well. Yeah, of course. Because I yeah. think for me, like, I use my experiences, good and bad, to make sure that other people don't feel the way I felt. Yeah. So your experience as a player, I feel like, helps that because 100%. not a lot of managers are open to players speaking to them or mm. letting them be free. And I think he- Jamie being an ex-player, I think that definitely helps. So do you almost mentor young girls coming through into the game who perhaps you resonate with in some way because they are, you know, not a difference, not the right word, but, you know, they know their mind. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I mentor a lot of young kids and, you know, a lot of their parents say they're not wanting to play anymore because a coach might not be... And they're only nine years old, some of them, 10 years old. So, so that's very young to feel that way. And, you know, they say, you know, myself and actually my girlfriend, they're like, oh, you know, you girls have made my kid happier and confident as a human, as opposed to like, obviously it's good to play football and stuff like that. But when you start talking about football, it can really make a difference in your life as a person, not just, you know, teaching a kid how to do a quiff turn. It's more about impacting them in a way that makes them feel good about themselves. And I think that's what I try to do in life. I said earlier on about the the brand that that football has now and how, you know, uh, 
other brands latch onto that and they like the individual characters, if you like. Mm-hmm. Paul Pogba, Neymar, Megan Rapino, for example, who brands are attracted to because they stand out. Would that have helped you? I, th- I think if you're doing the business on the football pitch, then you're entitled to do what you want off it, you know, and I think it's changed a little bit. You'll you're still see, like, Pogba gets loads of stick. You know, he does all this commercial stuff, but isn't playing. And I think that was still the same kind of back then. Players would... You could still do stuff if you were performing on the pitch. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the time, <laughs> if you weren't performing and you were still doing that stuff, you'd, you'd it was, you know what you're doing, shut up. I had that quite a lot. I was doing stuff in magazines and interviews here and there, doing sponsorships, and I wasn't playing well. And then you, and people were hammering you, and the fans look at that and go, what are you doing? I think that's still the case Especially now. Especially with social media in there yeah, now as well. You know, I you can't really still, get away with anything I think anymore. the standards, you still have to set yourself higher standards, you know, and, and respect what you're doing. You know, if you if you go out on a football pitch and you're giving 100% and you're doing a business for the team, then have a social media platform and use that and use that to your advantage to build your career and your life. But first and foremost, perform on the football pitch. But did anybody tell you that back then? Did anybody say, no, I was, your football I was is just the free. thing? I was just, I was, and that's something I always struggled with. I, I was just went off and was just doing everything and not looking at the impact it was actually having on my football career. I went away from what made me successful and that was dedication, hard work, sacrifices, you know, studying the game, watching games, practising week in, week out. That's what got me to the top. When I got to the top, it kind of changed. And I went off to start doing other things, you know, magazines and, you know, going out. And, and you know, I used to look at players who were in my team and I would see them going out in their cars, Bentleys and going out clubbing and all that and used to think, I've got an edge over you because I'm at home and I'm studying the game and when we come round on Monday morning, I'm going to be fitter than you, I'm going to be more ready than you. And I was in the team. Mm. Eventually, I was in the team in front of them and then all of a sudden I got in the team and I was the top player and then I started doing what they were doing, <laughs> you know? It's, and then you go away from it. It's you have to be extremely disciplined though. Yeah, of course. It's human nature though as well, isn't it? It's yeah. bright lights. Do, do you have any regrets over it? I wouldn't say regrets. I think I could. I, I think personally, I probably underachieved a bit. You know, I think I could have played for the national team. I could have played for England if I really sort of. I had some bad injuries for one at bad moments in your career, and that's essential. But yeah, I mean, I think there was some things that I did where I look back and think probably shouldn't have said that. I probably shouldn't have done that. I probably should have, you know, stayed the course and trusted the process of being where I wanted to do and stay dedicated. But I also look at it and think, well, it's put me where I am today and it's given me life experiences that I can now push on to other people. I'm a manager now. I'm doing everything that I've ever wanted to do and I love my life right now and what I'm doing. And I've got them life experiences and still had a great career in football. And now I can use that experience to help other people. What about you, Leanne? Because obviously women's football in the last couple of years in particular, but we've seen a slowly growing trend anyway, has kind of burst on and, and, and massively popular brands getting on board, etc. Is there any part of you that, that feels if you'd have stayed with England, not spoken out? I know we have spoken about that already, that, or that you were playing over here and maybe getting that kind of enthusiasm and, and, and spotlight. Is there any part of you that thinks... I missed out on that. I'm, I'm a bit gutted about that. No, because I live in LA. 
So, you know, for me, I'm happy and I've always chosen my happiness and sometimes it's been detrimental to me. I'm not going to lie. You know, playing in America, you would lose your contract with England. If you played in America, that didn't mean you get, didn't get picked. But financially, you know, it definitely has made a difference. Yeah. But at the same time, I've always chosen my happiness. And if it has been detrimental to me, then so be it. But I don't have any regrets because it is sad, you know, that way my England career ended and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like I said, I do not have any regrets over what I standing up for myself, standing up for any or anything like that, I'd live with no regrets. Yeah. I'd quite certainly like to live in LA as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Playing after this, we're off to the airport. Uh, right, Bournemouth are in the bottom three after their 2-1 defeat at Liverpool. Substitute Jack Simpson, bless him, had a bit of a mare. Don't want to sound patronising when I say that, but he was partly responsible for both of, uh, of Liverpool's goals. I think it's fair to say that. Was he unlucky because Liverpool are pretty ruthless or was it a very bad day at the office? I would say it was a bad day at the office. I don't think he was... I mean, come playing against Mane, Firmino and Salah, you know, it's just they're going to give anyone a torrid time. But, you know, when he came on, he just didn't look like he was at the races. I felt a bit sorry for him, if I'm honest. You know, I know he's a professional footballer, but, you know, he looked like he was thrown in at the deep end and he just didn't look like he was up to speed. Probably not mentally prepared to come on that early in a game, even though you, you know would have done the warm up. But you don't warm up with the first team, especially you know, as a defender as well. As a defender, you're off. You go and do your own thing, mm. and then all of a sudden, bang, you're in there. You know this. This is a big moment. He, you know, he just struggled. It looked like he, he, the couple of mistakes he made looks like he just doesn't really know what he's thinking. He's caught in two minds on both occasions, out of position, and then things like that. When that happened in a game straight away, you look at him and go. He's not at the level. Mm. He's not good enough. And, sh- and and that's a difficult one for him because he would believe that he is. But then when all of a sudden you come and you're playing in the Premier League and you're playing against Liverpool, you will get found out very quickly. And then mistakes and all of a sudden, bang, it's 100 mile an hour. And if you're not at it and you're not quite there, you'll get punished. Yeah. How do you handle that, though, as, as a manager? You can see that the player, either he's not up to the pace of the game or his head's not quite in the game yet. But what do you say in the dressing room? <laughs> There's two ways you can go around it. You can drag him, you can take him off, but then you're kind of admitting your own mistake or you kind of back him and put an arm around him and say, look, you know, you need to get up to it. You need to get up to speed and, and, and you trust him. And the problem that obviously Eddie Howe had is that he trusted to put him on and probably realised very quickly that he weren't quite there and he wasn't quite at the level because there's a big difference of looking good in training and looking But if good he would have in... taken him off, though, like what Duncan Ferguson did to Moyes Keane, I feel like that would have been worse for him. Yeah. And, I... you know, I mean, I'm not a Bournemouth fan, but I'm sure they would probably feel the same, even though he had a torrid time. I feel like taking him off would have been, like, not good. Well, it's humiliating. Yeah. It? Yeah, I mean, for me as a manager, that's the last thing, that's the last thing you want to do. Would you, would you rather humiliate yourself by admitting I would that you rather, made an error? I would rather take the responsibility on the chin and say you know what I messed up I put Mm -hmm. him out there and he probably wasn't quite ready but I back him enough to go and still do a job for me all right he made some mistakes probably you know ones that he'd look back and go should have done better but as a manager I'm going to take the responsibility because I put him on the pitch Mm. if you take him off you're kind of basically saying well mate you're not good enough yeah Yeah. it's your fault it's not my fault I put you out there so it it was a tough one. I think Eddie Howe backed him, right, and kept him on. 
Yeah, some, just, some people like Mourinho. Yeah. Well, uh, we're we're, we're going to get on to that. Later. That's a whole different case. But within the 90 minutes of, of game management, that's fine. But what do you do in the week to build his confidence? And have you ever had this kind of experience with a player and had to you know, really look after them during the week afterwards? Yeah, I mean, it, it can kill your confidence for sure. I had a player come on you know, just a few weeks ago and he's coming back from fitness. And he wasn't a young lad, he's played loads. But he'd come on and... You could see straight away that he was miles off it and he got done twice for the goals, cost us. And then you look and I actually, I, I turned around and I was like, you know, do, do we take him off? And I was like, I don't really want to take him off because then you're just killing his confidence yeah. and you're humiliating him and you're basically showing everyone that he's not, he's not good enough and he's not there. So you have to kind of then go into the next week and go, right, how do I build this player up? Because I want him. And, Ed, you know, with this, with, uh, is it Simpson? Mm-hmm. Eddie Howe must rate him because he's putting him on the bench and, he, you know, he must see him as a good player. So he now has to go back to the drawing board with him and say, look, welcome to the Premier League. You've had a harsh lesson, but this is what it is and this is what it takes to play at this level. So you need to improve and we're going to back you and we're going to support you and make you a better player. So what did you say to your player? Exactly that? Do that again, you're gone. <laughs> That's the kind of management I like. Straight to the point. Straight to the point. Uh, Right. You you mentioned Jose there. For anybody who's not seen this, uh, where have you been? And Dombele didn't have the greatest 45 minutes of his career, fair to say, but completely dug out by Mourinho afterwards. I mean, from a player's point of view and a manager's point of view, what was your assessment of it? And have you ever seen something like that before yeah I think Mourinho always finds somebody like at least one player on the team he did it with Man- Luke Shaw at Manchester United mm. you know and I, for me I think sometimes managers are not critical enough of the players but then at the same time I don't think you need to completely hammer them in front of everybody because that's not going to be good for his confidence you know it's not going to be good going forward and it's not going to make him feel good you know and I know people think that professional footballers should be able to take all these things on the gym but they are humans and like everybody else so and I think people forget that but I'm not really I didn't like what Mourinho did yeah, um, it's a tough one because obviously he would look at the game. It was a big game, and he's trusted Endon Bele to start the game and let him down. He hasn't played well, but the guy's obviously confidence is obviously not there, and he's obviously not adapted to the Premier League yet. And they spent a lot of money on him. So as a manager to come out and sort of slaughter him, I didn't agree with. Thought it's sort of bad, bad management for Mourinho, and yeah. kind of looking like you're making him a scapegoat because what are you gaining out of doing that? You're going to lose him. As a as a as a mentally, you're going to lose him because he's not going to respect you now because he's going. You just hammered me in front of everyone, and then two, you've you've killed his confidence. But three, you've also now put the limelight on him. So every time now he walks on the pitch, they're going to be looking at him. The fans are going to be looking at him and going, every single pass he makes is going to be under scrutiny because the managers come out and said oh, he's not he's nowhere near it. He needs to sort himself out. So if he makes one mistake now when he walks on the pitch, the fans are going to be on him. They're going, well, if Mourinho's saying it, the fans are yeah. going to say it. So you've given that guy a, a, a mountain to climb mm. to get back to a decent level of performance. Do you think is actually thinking that, though? Is he going home and thinking, now everybody's on my back, not just the manager? We I don't know. Yeah, yeah. we Every, don't know. Players I don't are know different. Him. Yeah, I don't yeah. know him. Players are different. Some might like it. I don't think he seems that type of player that's going to like that. As a player, I don't think anyone's going to really no. like that sort of criticism. If you pulled him into the office... And and says, 
you should play know like himself, that again. Though, surely, yeah. like yeah, as a player, you know when you've not had a good game. So I don't, you know, it just it just wasn't a good game from him. Mm. But I don't think like hanging him out to dry like Mourinho did is the answer. Like Jamie said, you know, now people are going to be watching him every time. You know, more of scrutinising every single thing he's doing, and that's not good. But maybe to defend Mourinho in in some way, maybe his man manage- management is way above any of us, and he knows the player, and he knows that actually this player might actually go, I'm going to totally prove you wrong and react better. Have you you had that before where someone's just gone, I'm going to prove you wrong? But look Uh, at Luke Shaw, though. You know, Luke Shaw's probably playing his best football we've seen at Manchester United now. And I think the whole time Mourinho was there, you know, he came out with comments about his weight, his fitness, you know, and I think you've got to give Luke Shaw a lot of credit for keep going because I think if it was most players they'd not necessarily give up but mm. he had a, Mourinho was just coming out in public talking about Luke Shaw and it didn't mm. help so I don't know I, I, I personally I don't think it's a good way to manage a player um, if you're going to come out in your you know in your interview and say the team weren't good enough it wasn't just one player yeah the whole team weren't good enough in that 45 minutes to come out and sort of single out one player especially when he's new and people killer. don't really know him that well you yeah. know if it was someone like a David Silver or like you know a top top player Kevin De Bruyne already earned his stripes right yeah. then everybody knows the quality of this player but somebody that's just new to the team new to the Premier League you know I think that's stitching him up a little bit mm. yeah absolutely I remember it happened to me once I was play I played against Liverpool and it was the first time I played against them and I was at Tottenham and Stephen Gerrard was playing against uh, playing against Stephen Gerrard and I remember going into the game thinking like playing against Stephen Gerrard Alonso Mascarano midfield I was thinking I've got a now Gerrard early on to let him know I'm there you know and I'm thinking right I've got to get into him got to get into him first thing he did saw me coming nutmeg one two switch one 70 yards and I was like oh he's 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 better than I thought and for 45 minutes, I was completely out of my depth, you know, and it completely out of my depth. And I got dragged at half time. Yeah. But I remember, I can't remember who the manager was, I think it might have been Ramos. We ended up, he took me off at half time, we won the game 2 1. So for me, my confidence was shot because mm. we've come in, the team, I've been taken off, we've ended up winning the game 2 1. But afterwards, Ramos came up to me and he said, you know what? That's a lesson for you. You know, you, that's, that's a learning curve for where you want to be. You're going to have bad games. I'm going to take you off, but I'm also going to protect you. Mm. You know, and that's the difference. And in the next game, I'm buzzing again. I'm ready to go. And I've learned how to play against Gerard and how to deal with that sort of thing. Coming out absolutely slaughtering a player and saying he's not good enough, he's not in the races, mm. he's going to walk off the pitch and think, oh, I'm finished. Yeah. I'm done. It's positive language a lot of the time, of isn't course. it? You're like, that's you like to get management. something positive back. That's really good management mm. that he did that because, you know, he could have pulled you after half an hour yeah. like Mourinho would have, has done in the yeah, past yeah. and it doesn't help. Right, England currently out in the States while well, you're over here, uh, Leanne, um, competing in the She Believes Cup. Didn't go quite so well for them against the USA, but they did get victory over, over Japan. Ellen White scored the winner. She came on as a sub, having started the game against USA. Really interesting comments from manager Phil Neville afterwards. He said that there's been a lot of uh, no, he used the words a bit of disrespect shown towards Ellen White in recent weeks with fans calling for Bethany England to start up front. Now, I know he plays a system where you can't have two up front, so I understand that he's not going to play them both. But I, I feel like Bethany England has had the form and Ellen White was injured, but of course Ellen White has the history. I can't see any disrespect in that. What's what's your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think following on from the first game, you know, it wasn't good enough. And I think if we're going to progress to the next level where we need to be at and compete with the likes of America, we have to be critical of our performance instead of saying, you know, oh, it was unlucky or we had these positives to take. Like sometimes there's no positives. And, you know, I think when Phil Neville first got the job, a lot of people were, you know, critical of him because he'd never coached in a women's game before. Mm. For me, that didn't matter. 
Um, I think, you know, you just got to put the best person in the job at the t- that moment in time. And, you know, I think going off of the back of the loss, I think the performance wasn't good enough. But I don't think necessarily that people wanting Beth England to play means it's disrespectful to Ellen White. I think we all know what Ellen White can do. She's done fantastic for England, you know, at the World Cup. But at the same time, you know, Beth England is the best player in the WSL at the moment. So, you know, she does deserve to play. But I think sometimes managers need to be a bit more open to changing a formation because for me, you've got to fit. You know, I'm the kind of player that person that play with 11 forwards on my team so you know maybe I'm not the best person to probably ask. why you're not a manager <laughs> but you know I, I personally think you've got to play the best 11 it shouldn't be well Ellen White needs to go on the bench and Beth England goes that's just my personal opinion so I don't think anybody I didn't see any disrespect because people were saying they want Beth England to play I don't think that means that they don't like Ellen White mm. it just means that they want both of them to play yeah how tricky is the balance between bringing in new players and obviously you know the, there were the players that did well got them to the semi-finals in France at the World Cup but now he's brought in a lot of youngsters because he's got different priorities with the Olympics and and the Euros next year but you can't really push away all the experienced players at the same time no and I think that's what what we're seeing at the moment you know we haven't replaced certain players you know there's we're talking about in 2015 there's probably only about three players that are still there Carly Telford Jill Scott Steph Houghton you know whereas you've got to replace you've got like Farrah Williams who still plays you've got Frank Kirby you've got me Ellen White Alex Scott Casey Stoney you know Jodie Taylor big personalities and characters and completely different players and when I look at the England team now I'm not quite sure the leaders in that group you know and I think sometimes with the Americans they pick their best team and they play that best team every single Mm. game and that's why they are number one in the world I think Phil bringing young players in yes you have to do it you know because you should bring in young players, but bring them in for experience. But at the same time, how are they going to get experience if they don't play? But I don't think, I think it's going to end up costing him in the end if he doesn't get the results because he might not have that long period of time to be able to see if that's going to work. Frank Lampard's going through a similar thing at Chelsea, mm-hmm. isn't he? I mean, I know he had no choice over that to begin with, yeah. um, but now he does have a little bit more of a choice and then you see the likes of Billy Gilmore coming on the scene. Yeah, it's massive. I mean, you've got to find the right balance for me. Is you got to have the, you, you need the right mix and you know, leaders in a dressing room are huge because they have, not only are they going to be your best players, but also they have a huge impact on the young players. So if you look at Chelsea and how good they've done this season and Frank Lampard is because he's managed the experienced players absolutely brilliantly like he got rid of David Luiz because he wasn't going to be the right person to do it and you look at the players who are there you know it's uh, sorry um, Giroud you know look how he's acted not mm-hmm. even playing but he's been unbelievable Willian been unbelievable for them Alonso unbelievable for them they set examples and when you have players like that who set, set great examples then the young lads will set their standards higher and that's the difference and that's why Chelsea have done so well so you can't just have a whole 11 of young players it's not going to work and it's just about finding the right balance and the right characters to bring the best out of the young lads how far are Chelsea away from getting a trophy and then we'll find out how far England are away from getting a trophy <laughs> I, I mean watching Chelsea the last few times I've watched them I thought they've been absolutely brilliant I mean the 4-0 result I thought they were a different class Billy Gilmore looks like a Mason player. Mount yeah he looks like a player who's played for them for years yeah. you know played in the Premier League for years it was his first game so I think the talent is there and with Lampard at the at the helm and he's going to keep producing sort of them young players and keep building them up I don't think they're far away at all I think maybe one or two signings they are there or thereabouts and obviously 
no signings for Phil Neville. He's got to work with what he's got. But what? where are England women at the minute? Because performances haven't been fantastic and certainly results haven't been either. But we have good enough players. You know, I don't think it's necessarily that we need to start looking at loads of other players. That's not what I think needs to happen. I think he needs to figure out how to get the best out of them individually because there's a lot of fantastic players on that team. And when they're playing, you know, the, in the game the other day, the ball, we can't possess the ball and do mm. the fundamental basics of passing and things like that. We're not doing any combinations we're not passing you know basic things and that's something that I think has to change because if the quality is there but on the field when they go out there it just looks like erratic so for you Phil Neville is the man to keep the the momentum going or somebody else should come in and change things I think at this point in time, you know, they've put their belief in him, but I wouldn't necessarily say I think he's the right person for the job. When he got the job, like I said, being ex-Manchester United, I'm going to be biased. I was like, okay. And I don't think because he hasn't had experience, like I said, he shouldn't get the job. But I think, you know, I think he's been very naive in some of his comments, you know, comments he made after the last World Cup when he said, you know, who cares about the bronze medal? In other words, when in 2015, you know, that ask anybody there if they cared about the bronze medal. You know, it was in the men's game, it's different. You know, what people have to understand in the women's game, the bronze bronze medal game is a huge deal yeah. and I understand it's different in the men's game but I think sometimes he's not helped himself with his comments that he's made This is Liquid Football on Joe I'm Faker Others alongside Jamie O'Hara and Leanne Sanderson If you like what you see and hear please leave a review on YouTube and iTunes There was a special edition of House of Rugby released over the weekend to celebrate International Women's Day looking back on when England won the 1994 World Cup with three of its star players who discussed some very interesting paths to the top did you organise your first game, or am I making that up? No, it's true. The, the, um, the first England international. You yeah. did, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. You the did. first England international. Somebody came to England training and said, the man from Sweden wants to come in the autumn. Is there anybody that would like to organise it? So I just, well, we'll do it. So I put my hand up. And uh, my ex-partner, he, he played for the North and, and he was an England student's player. So Steve knew how to organise something like that. So yeah. sort of between us, we... Uh, yeah, called took, it together. Took a man's the man's phone number from Sweden, and I was driving back up home, thinking, "Got to organise an international match." And I, at that point, I was thinking, "I'll really enjoy it because the girls will play at my home ground. I'll watch it." And yeah. didn't dream that I'd, I'd be, you know, a few months later actually playing in the team. But um, yeah, we organised it. Amazing. I sort of came came to realise what was going on as I was singing the national anthem, and it suddenly became all emotional. But because I'd been literally running around making sure the commissioners were in place and the girls that were selling t-shirts were sorted, and the people in the bar were okay. And I'd love to see Owen Farrell doing that on Match Day, <laughs> England Wales, making sure the concessions are out and uh, programmes are being sold. That was Jill Burns alongside Nikki Ponsford and Giselle Mather, reminiscing, of course, about when England won the 1994 Women's Rugby World Cup. Right, good times for Birmingham City midfielder Jude Bellingham. I've seen this kid live. He is just very good. Oh, just such a talent. And now linked with a move to Borussia Dortmund as well. He'd of course be following in the footsteps of the likes of Jaden Sancho, Reese Oxford as well, who've both gone out to play in Germany. Uh, Leanne, you played club football in five countries, is that right? England, United States, Italy, Spain. Cyprus could have just got you to reel them off instead. <laughs> what, what would you say are the advantages of playing abroad? What did you get out of it? 
Well, I think, honestly, going to America in 2010 when I got drafted there was probably the best decision, I, one of the best decisions I ever made in my life, you know, from a lifestyle perspective and just in general, I love the Americans' mindset and the mentality. I think playing overseas also has challenges, you know, um, when it comes to playing in non-English speaking countries, you know, when I played in Italy, I tried to learn Italian and in Turin, you know, not many people speak English so that's also a challenge in itself but you know, I think for me, stepping outside my comfort zone and putting myself in amongst it where no one speaks English, I think it helped me grow as a person yeah grow as a person for sure but what else did you get out of it football wise that you perhaps wouldn't have got staying in England I think maybe playing in different systems different style you know in Italy they're very technical you know and it's a completely different philosophy in Italy I thought going to Italy after my injury it was going to be a bit more laid back as we think like people think Italians are very laid back which they are but I can honestly say the Italians train unbelievably mm. hard like that's the misconception like it is mental Twice like I could not believe it yeah like is that why you didn't genuinely. go <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Never. Like, they, they literally have like you have one day off and then you do fitness which usually the second day is still recovery, you know, so that was hard for me to adapt to because I wasn't used to doing that. So mm. the misconception is in Italy, it's very laid back and the trainings, you know, once a week or twice a week and we chill, but no, like it's very intense. So USA was your happiest experience. Where didn't you quite enjoy? Didn't you quite feel like you fitted in? Um, probably in Italy. You know, I loved playing for Juventus. Unbelievable club. Cristiano Ronaldo is my favourite player. Um, so when he signed after I did, I was over the moon getting to watch him every every week, meet him and stuff like that was fantastic. But, you know, I think for me, living in other countries where not many people look like me, you know, whether it's to do with your race, sexuality and things like that, I just want to live places that I feel like I'm accepted. And, you know, walking down the street and getting comments and looks and followed around shops and things like that. Like people say to me, did that really happen? And I'm like, unfortunately, yes. And it makes you feel a bit sick in your stomach when that happens. And, you know, I wouldn't wish that kind of thing upon anyone, but it does happen. So, you know, football is my life. It always has been since I was five years old. But when you live somewhere that you feel like you're not completely accepted, you know, people accepted me as soon as they knew I played for Juventus. <laughs> but, you know, before that, it was like, oh, who's that? And, you know, I didn't feel like I could hold my girlfriend's hand or, you know, I was always respectful, but it just felt, but like I said, Juventus were great, but it was living in Turin was a little bit difficult. Yeah. And we, we've, we've heard that before uh, from other players as well just going back onto the Cristiano Ronaldo point though there's not many people that get to be in close proximity to, to a player like that did you ever get a chance to to chat to him find out a bit more about him get any tips from him honestly you cannot get near him and um, when he first came to Juventus I mean we were at a Christmas party um we all women and the male players were there and like you know he had seven security guards around him and it was a Juventus Christmas party which only wow. people from Juventus could be at so you know I did get to say hello to him I did get to speak to him but never where it's like I've met him before but never where you can get tips from him and stuff like that because as soon as Cristiano Ronaldo signed they moved to Continasa and we trained at another place we trained at the men's old um, training facility but you know I love Ronaldo and I think sometimes people don't realise what an amazing person he really is and he's got a lot of time for people and you know he's very aware of of his position he's in you know mm. I've never seen him be annoyed when someone asks for a picture or anything like that so for me getting to watch him every I went to every single game even if it was snowing they'd be like Leanne you're going today and I'd be like yeah of course I am <laughs> you know and none of the some of the girls would be like I'm not going to go this week but I was always there just to watch him yeah any regrets about not going abroad Jamie um I always wanted to go to America I always fancy going out to the MLS um I think it's a fantastic league and it was something I wanted to experience when I remember going out to Chicago Fire had a contract on the table from them. Didn't quite materialise in the end. I got offered more money to, uh, to sign for Blackpool and was 
closer. I was at home with the kids and stuff. So, but it was something I always, that was one thing I always wanted to do. And You're always thing, welcome to come now. Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> but I think it's going from strength to strength out there, that league and everything around it. I think it's a fantastic place to be. I love America. So uh, I might not be able to play out there, but I think hopefully one day I'd love to go and be a manager. The quality of life is just much, I don't know, it's just for me, I love the sun. <laughs> so I'd follow the sun everywhere and everywhere I could. So for me, the quality of life is just so much better for me there. Sounds to me as if Leanne's invited you out. I know. Anyway, LA, yes. I'm coming. Yes. <laughs> definitely coming. <laughs> I just want to go back to something that you, you said earlier on, Leanne, about feeling in Italy as if you didn't belong and, and that it wasn't comfortable walking down the street with your girlfriend. How did Juventus actually deal with your relationship because you played together didn't you both in Cyprus and then when you came to Italy yeah they were brilliant to be fair you know when I first got there they um, welcomed us with open arms it was pretty apparent that we were together because I would never play somewhere that people didn't accept me if that makes sense from mm-hmm. a, from myself like I wasn't going to go there and be like oh well we're not together like that's not how our relationship is you know we've been together five and a half years and you know that that I have enough respect for Ash and we have enough respect for each other but we Juventus you know welcomed us with open arms I just felt like you know sometimes Sometimes when you're in teams where people are not able to be themselves, I think sometimes that can also be a knock-on effect, whether that be in Spain, Italy or in different countries. I think sometimes I feel a little bit of resentment from people because they don't feel like they can be who they are. And, And for me, you know, I'm a footballer that happens to be gay. You know, I'm, I don't like being necessarily known as Leanne, the gay footballer, because, you know, I'm in the minority and I don't hold it against people that are not open with who they are, you know, but I know that struggle of when you carry that with you every single day of not being able to be who you are, how that can feel. So, you know, for me, if I can be a positive role model for the LGBTQ plus community, then I'm going to be that. But then you don't want to be pushed into into it. As you say, Juventus kept using you as almost like the, the brand ambassador for it. Initially, yes, until I kind of said, you know what, like, I'm so grateful we're here. I did a couple of interviews because it is a big deal. You know, we have to realise with Italy and a lot of these countries, they're very far behind when it comes to, you know, diversity, um, adversity and things like that. So for me, if I can go there and be that person, then I will do that. But I don't necessarily want to do that every club I'm at where it's like, you know, here she is again, and the gay footballer. You know, I don't want to be that person everywhere. I just want to be myself and hopefully people can, can use me as a role model. I think certainly in the WSL, there are there are behind the scenes couples that people know about in within the team that isn't necessarily out in the public domain. But how difficult is it playing with your partner? You know, what, what, do you have the same competitiveness? What, oh, what other, we pla- other players want to kill each other. Like, honestly, <laughs> she, we played against each other a few times. She plays defensive midfield and I play attacking midfield. So we go literally up against each other. And the night before we were playing, she said to me, if you nutmeg me, we're over. And I said, <laughs> <laughs> I'm being serious. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, I'm being serious. And that's an absolutely true story. But when we're at Juventus, you know, we're professional. And I wouldn't even know where together, but, you know, I would say that we obviously don't do things like hold hands and stuff like that. And it is hard to switch it off and on because sometimes, you know, you might want to give your girlfriend a kiss and you're like, actually, I'm at the training ground. So you kind of be like, you're kind of keeping your distance even more. So, you know, but when we're on the pitch, like, you know, we want to p- go against each other like everybody else. I don't look at Ash and think, oh, I'm going to go light on Ash because I, you know, I don't want to make her look bad and she doesn't want to make me look bad, but we don't go easier on each other. I was going to say, have you, have you done the nutmeg as well? Just, you know, just to embarrass her slightly if she's kind of... Mm-hmm. 
you said that to you. I wouldn't say, no, I didn't in the game, actually. Yeah. It just so happened it didn't happen. I remember in the game particularly, I was dying because I was just coming back into, I was getting fit and I said to her, oh, babe, I'm, I'm shattered. And I, I used a few expletives <laughs> and she was like, it's all right, keep going. And we were literally going against each other. So, you know, I would never want to make Ash look bad and she want to make me look bad, but we literally go against each other like anybody else would. And, you know, if you see me on social media, you'll see there's a couple of pictures of us who's coming in for a slight tackle on me and it is what it is. How does it affect your career path? Because, again, I know other players who, who play at different clubs, perhaps live in different countries as well. I mean, that's the same with, with any relationship. This isn't just, you know, for, for gay footballers, whatever. How does it change your decision process? Like Jamie said, for example, he didn't go to the US because your kids were young. You know, do you have that same kind of thing if you're going to get a contract somewhere and it's going to further your career, but, you know, difficult choices? Yeah, you know, myself and Ash, our relationship is that, you know, if a team, we've only played together, we met in Cyprus, but we've only played together once at Juventus. And, you know, if, the, if a club wants Ash and they don't want me or vice versa, then I would never hold her back and she would never hold me back. So, you know, it is what it is. And we don't necessarily, we're not a package deal. And I make that pretty clear whenever we're doing something, you know, because it's happened before where people have signed people because they, they think that someone's in a relationship with someone and they think they're going to follow suit and I've seen it not go the right way because the player hasn't followed suit they don't want to just follow their girlfriend around you know yeah that's not what me and Ash are about you know so whatever opportunity there is for her I wanted to take it and vice versa yeah fascinating look it's been an absolute pleasure uh, sitting with both of you today. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll see you in LA. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this episode of Liquid Football from Joe. My thanks to Jamie O'Hara, of course, and Leanne Sanderson. We are available every Tuesday. You can download the podcast or watch us on YouTube. Please leave us a review on iTunes as well if you like what you hear. We've also got a Facebook page. Just search for Liquid Football and you can get involved with all our chats. Don't forget to check out our other shows as well. House of Rugby with James Haskell and TKO with Carl Frampton, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to Liquid Football on Joe.